Brilliant. So, if you've got your Bibles, you could turn to Genesis chapter 37. And um, I'm going to be reading from verse 4. Sorry, I'm up to verse 4, from 1 to 4. So, it says this. Jacob lived in the land where his, father's, his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending his flocks with his brother, the brothers, the sons of Belia and the sons of Zeppla, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to them, him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Okay, so that's the kind of cliffhanger that we're going to end, end our reading on today. But so, as I've said, today we're starting a series looking at the life of Joseph. And you can read his story in, um, from Genesis chapter 37 right the way through to Genesis 50. Other than Abraham, um, I think there's 13 uh, chapters dedicated to the life of Abraham and there's 13 chapters or so um, uh, dedicated to the life of Joseph. So it's a big chunk of the book of Genesis. But the story of Joseph actually stands on its own in one sense as a really good, solid story. It's got a great beginning. It's, uh, it's got some, you know, lots of jeopardy. It's got lots of interesting characters. It's got bad guys. It's got good, good guys. It's got um, kind of uh, bad things happen to Joseph, but eventually the right thing comes out in the end. It's got a great ending where uh, there's a real good resolve. And even at the very end of the um, story, there's a hint of another chapter to come, another part of the story to come. So it's a great story in and of itself. Um, But it's also a remarkably challenging story that confronts us and deals with many of the same kinds of issues that we struggle with today. Now, this story comes from the life of Joseph thousands of years ago, but even back then they were struggling with the things that we often struggle. One writer reminds us that in Joseph's story we learn how to overcome envy, how to face adversary, how to resist sexual advances, how to plan for the future, how to forgive those who have wronged us, how to dispel doubts in forgiveness, how to have faith in God's promises, and how to recognize the sovereignty of God even in the wrong that others have done for us. So there's plenty to be getting our teeth into in this, um, in this story. And I'm sure we're going to hit many of these things as we go through over the next few weeks. But the most important aspect of, to keep in mind as we go through this story, the theme that comes up again and again, is not really how good Joseph was, but it's got to do with the sovereignty of God. It's, it's about his commitment and his faithfulness to his people, to his promises, and to his plans, despite the behavior of his people. 
So we're going to be looking at the story of Joseph over the next few weeks. Um, but as we do that, I want to give a quick, very brief, I mean, Paul kind of gave us a, a bit of an overview of, of um, Joseph's life in the time of worship we've just had. But I want to give a brief overview of his story, because uh, for many of us, it will be a very familiar story. But for some of you, it might be brand new. You might not have actually heard of the story of Joseph. And for others of us, it's good just to kind of remind ourselves of the story. So Joseph is the second youngest of 12 brothers and one sister. And between them, they've got a number of different mums, but there's one man involved, one dad. And his name is Jacob, or God uh, gives him a name of Israel. So if you see the, the name Israel, it's talking to the same guy, Jacob. Jacob's grandson, uh, sorry, uh, Jacob's granddad is Abraham. And his, his son was Isaac, and then Isaac's son was Jacob. And God had given promises to all of these men that they were gonna, God was going to use their family to become a great nation for the purposes of God. Now, there's something about Joseph that marked him out among all his other brothers. It seems that his father, Jacob, had a special place in his heart for Joseph, and he had special plans for Joseph. And God also had a special place for Joseph. And because of this, Joseph, Joseph's brothers hated him. They were jealous of the special position that his father seemed to have for him. And so they really didn't like him. And the last verse we read, it finished on the brothers hated him and couldn't say a nice word about him. And so they sold him into slavery. The original idea was that they were going to just kill him because they were jealous of him. But one of the brothers said, well, that's a bit harsh. He's one of us. Let's sell him into slavery instead. <laughs> and so they sell him into slavery, assuming that he will die in slavery. Um, but Joseph is led off to Egypt. The brothers uh, actually go and kill an animal and uh, dip, it, dip um, Joseph's uh, coat in the blood and then take take it to the dad to make it look like Joseph's been killed by a wild animal. But Joseph is taken off to Egypt where he suffers greatly. But God loves Joseph and causes him to be promoted to the highest office in the land, second only to the Pharaoh. And he is given charge over the food supply to the whole nation. So... Um, in, in, after a little while, there's a huge famine that hits that whole area. So it affects Egypt, but it also affects Canaan, where Joseph's family, his brothers and his dad are living. So the brothers, uh, in their hunger, decide they need to go to Egypt to get food, not realizing that the man in charge of the whole of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh, was their brother, the one that they had sold into slavery. So Joseph, the brother that, that they hated and despised, becomes the one on whom all their hopes depend. And when, their brother, when the brothers realized that Joseph, the brother they had put into slavery, was now in charge of Egypt, they were filled with fear and dread. Wouldn't you be? But, but Joseph, this is probably the most amazing, the most important verse in the Bible. When Joseph meets them, he reassures them by saying, Don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, 
He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. So Joseph's life has got a lot to teach us. It's going to have a lot of challenges, and we're going to learn a lot of things about how to, how to live life and how to live in a godly way. But the main point of this story is not the righteousness or the goodness of Jacob or of Joseph, but it's about the sovereignty of God, his commitment to his people, his promises, and his plans. So that's the story we're going to explore over the next few weeks. Let me pray for our series, and then I'll get into these uh, verses we've got today. Spirit of God, I, I thank you that you gave us your word, and that you say all, all scripture is useful to teach us and to challenge us, to rebuke us, and to make us ultimately a little bit more like you day by day. And so I pray as we start this series... Um, and we look at, we look at the, the man Joseph and what he learned from, from his life and how we can learn from that as well. Lord, I pray that you would teach us many things. But Lord, most of all, we want to see your sovereignty at work. We want to see your love for your people, for your promises and for your plans. And so we commit our ways to you. We ask your spirit would work through this, through our connect groups. We ask that you would uh, work deeply in our hearts over these next few weeks, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When I was in primary school, we did it uh, when we were young. They obviously got bored of the nativity, so they decided that they were going to do a, a, a play, the amaz- Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Um, and I loved, that was the, my first earliest memory of this story. And I, I loved the story of Joseph from the moment I heard it. And around that time, there was this lovely lady in our church who, who paid for me and my brothers and sisters and mum and dad to go to the theatre to watch the Andrew Lloyd Webber thing with, I think it was Darren Day at the time. And uh, it, was, it was a really amazing experience. I, I could close my eyes and think about that, that time right now. I, I start singing. And, um, and of course, it's, it's back now. So if you're kind of thinking, what, what are you going to do for Christmas? Maybe you could ask someone to get you a ticket to see Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And also, if, if that's a bit too expensive, it's on Netflix. There's a video. It's, it's kind of weird. It's like half film, half play. But on Netflix, you can watch it. It's with a very ripped Donny Osmond. So, uh, I don't know. It's slightly strange. Very 80s stroke 90s. But there you go. But um, it's, a great, it's a great story. The story, as we've already said, it's a great story. And, and, and the play is brilliant. But it's not exactly according to the truth in, in all areas. In fact, I counted it. It took 20 words into the first song for Andrew Lloyd Webber to start getting it wrong. Does anyone know the first song? Way, way back. Not long after the... Bu- it's got to be a bit more dramatic than that. So it goes way, way back, many centuries ago, not long after the Bible began. That's all right. Jacob lived in the land of Canaan. Great. A fine example of a family man. Jacob was not <laughs> a fine example of a family man. Jacob's family was not a fine example of the kind of family you're going to want to raise. The family was a bad family. And do you know, just a little side point really, but often we go to the Bible looking for great examples of men and women who we should kind of, they they do good things for God and we should be like them. But actually often when we look closely at their lives, 
we just see lots of flaws. We see lots of problems. I remember reading uh, an article by a lady once who was her, her kind of grown-up children had, had wandered away from the faith. And one time she was asking them, why, why did you wander away from the faith? And they said, you know, you took us to Sunday school week in, week out, telling us to be like Abraham because he, had, he was a man of faith. Be like David because he was a man after God's own heart. But when I started reading about these people for myself, I thought, these are terrible people. I don't want to be like them. Abraham was, he, he, he was willing to give his own wife away in order to, to look after himself. David was an, adulterous, uh, an adulterer and a murderer. Why would I want to be like him? And actually, there's a danger. If we go to the Bible just thinking, okay, everyone in the Bible is good and we should be like them, when we start reading their lives, it's, we're going to find it a bit hard. Um, I've, we got this storybook uh, Bible from my daughter. It was her birthday during the week, and we got her this. And I, f- I started reading it, and I think she's got it right. This is um, Sally Lloyd-Jones. Uh, at, at the beginning of, uh, before the Bible actually starts, she says this. People think that the Bible is a book about heroes, showing you people that you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, and probably Joseph is one of those. But, as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid, they run away, and at, at times, they're downright mean And I think she's right. The Bible is not a book of heroes that we should go and necessarily emulate. It's a book about God's commitment and faithfulness to his people, to his plans, and uh, to his promises, even when others are, are, are being stubborn and sinful. So, Jacob... He, if you know anything about him, he was treacherous and deceitful and uh, pretty greedy. He tricked his own brother, his own twin brother, out of his inheritance. He tricked his father into giving his brother his birthright blessing. Um, This man was not a fine example of a family man. And his sons were no better. I just want to have a little scan of some of the sons, okay? Now, some of this gets a little bit like, oh, my word, that's awful. But I just want to make the point. Here we go. Reuben, Jacob's oldest son, the one that would normally take responsibility for the family once the father has died. He's, going to be, he's supposed to be the future leader of the tribe of Israel. But he lost his birthright because he slept with his dad's wife his brother's mother. So he lost his birthright. He's not a fine example of a family man. The next one is uh, uh, Simeon and Levi. I, didn't, I don't know about you, I didn't name Simeon after this Simeon. I just want to... My, my son is not named after this guy. Okay, so Genesis 24, it's, it's a, a, a shocking story, really. So Jacob's daughter, Dinah, sleeps with a guy called Shechem. Now, just to say, um, in your, in your um, Bible, it might say rape, and that's because um, scholars don't know whether it was, was forced on her or whether it was a, an act that they were both consenting in but just brought a lot of shame uh, to the family. Okay? So, so anyway, Shechem sleeps with Dinah, um, and the brothers get really angry about it. They want to kill Shechem. They think he's brought pain on the family. He's brought shame on the family. He's brought dishonor on the family. So Shechem says that he loves Dinah and wants to marry her. And so the tribe that Shechem comes from and the tribe um, of, of Jacob make a deal. 
And here's the deal. If all the men from Shechem go and get circumcised, Shechem can marry Dinah. <laughs> just to catch them. Well, yeah. They probably didn't even have scissors. It was just a, a flint. Oh. oh. But the worst thing about this was it was a trick. So three days after the men of Shechem... Three days, and I'm guessing that's not a good time in your life as a man, that, that, three days after that. And, and uh, Simeon and Levi storm their tribe and kill all the men of the tribe. Kill them. Simeon and Levi think they've done a great job. They've got, re- they've got revenge. They've settled the score. Honor has been restored to the family of Jacob, to the family of Israel. But Jacob is furious You have made my name stink, he says. You brought dishonor and shame onto the family. Our tribe is small in number. And now, no one's going to be able to trust my word. If if I say something, they're not going to believe believe me. You brought dishonor and you brought danger upon us. So Reuben is not a fine example. Simeon and Levi are not fine examples. What about Judah? He must be a good guy. The great, 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 something granddad of Jesus. Surely he was a good man. Well, he slept with his dead son's wife thinking she was a prostitute. So, no, he's not. (laughs) So I think you can see that this family is a little, bit, uh, a little bit dysfunctional. And if you were Jacob, which one of these sons would you put in charge of the tribe? Which, which one of these people would you uh, tr- entrust with your family? But then Jacob has got one son that seems a little bit different. It says, uh, it says Joseph, a young man of 17 was tending his flocks with his brothers, the son of Biliah and the son of Zephla, his father's wives. And he brought his father a bad report about them. Now, knowing the terrible things that Joseph's brothers had done across their life, some of it was after this and some of it was before, but knowing the kinds of behaviors they get up to, when, jo- when it says Joseph brought a bad report, I reckon that was a pretty bad report. I don't like some. I used to read that and think, oh, they were throwing stones at passers by. But I don't, I I think it was a bad report. I think these were bad people. They were not good men. They were not righteous. They weren't godly people. They weren't chasing after the things of God. And so Joseph brings them a bad report. I wonder if Jacob thought, if our tribe is going to survive, our tiny little tribe, If our tribe is going to last longer than one generation, we need a better leader. My sons are only bringing shame and danger onto this family. And then Jacob sees Joseph, the oldest son of Rachel, his favorite wife. Aren't you glad you only have to have one wife? I would say to Ali, if I had more than one wife, you'd be my favorite. You'd be my favorite. I promise. And... What do you mean there? What do you you mean there? That was a moment. That was a moment. Um, Rachel's son, Rachel's sons, uh, Rachel's son seems different to all the other sons. He knows right from wrong. He's not bringing shame and dishonor onto the family. He's not causing trouble with the surrounding tribes. I wonder if Jacob thought he would make 
a great leader for this tribe. And so Joseph uh, is presented with this new coat. Jacob presents Joseph with this new coat. It's richly ornamented. It's expensive. Possibly it's very colorful. But the most important thing about this robe is not actually how colorful it is. It's the fact that it's got long sleeves. Because um, in, in those days, just to say, the, the, the family trade, they were farmers. They were shepherds. And that was hot, dirty, filthy work. And so you'd wear clothes that were loose-fitting and, and uh, kind of short-sleeved, and you'd get filthy, so you don't want to... You just wear rags because you don't want to kind of just waste all the money. But there's one person that doesn't need to wear that kind of clothes, and that's the manager. That's the person in charge. That's the chief shepherd. And so when uh, he is given this coat, it's Jacob promoting his 11th son the second youngest son, to the top of the pile to say, you are my firstborn. You, this is your birthright. You are going to be the leader of the tribe. And it says this. It says, when, in, in verse 4, when the brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than any of them, they hated him and they couldn't speak a kind word about him. So that's where our story begins. I've introduced you to most of the main characters. We're going to meet a, lot, a few more along the way. But without trying to spoil the surprise, actually God does an amazing thing. At the moment, this family is dysfunctional and it's broken. And you're like, what on earth can God do with this? But by the end, God takes all of these men through different experiences and they're completely transformed by the end of the story. So we're going to see them in their worst moments, but we're also going to see how God works through them. So in the last few minutes, I wanted to look uh, and, and think, how can this story, this part of the story, the four verses we looked at today, how can this help us today? And I think it can. There's a little saying that says, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Yeah, you've heard that, that, that before. In other words, you're always going to have your family, for better or worse whether you get on with them or whether you don't, your family are your family. If you leave London, um, you probably, you know, if you're part of the church, you'll probably keep in contact with a couple of close people and hopefully that will go on for a, for a long time. But actually, if you left London, you're not going to just leave your family. They're part of your life for the whole time. Um, and every family has got an element of dysfunction about it. I'm pretty... I can say that, can't I? Every family, <laughs> just getting permission. <laughs> um, every family has got an element of dysfunction about it. And, but, but perhaps you're here and you're thinking, man, I've really got some dysfunction going on in my family. And I think the first thing this story should do is give you some hope. <laughs> it's not as bad as this. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. My, my family is not as bad as this. But here's the second thing. Look what God did through this family. At this moment in time, it's in disarray, it's dysfunctional, there's hatred, there's bitterness, there's everything you can do. But eventually, that little tribe of dysfunctional family becomes a great nation that blesses all the nations of the earth. And, and the Messiah, Jesus, is entrusted into this family to save the world. So can you see how God can take just dysfunction and make it into something absolutely glorious? So if you've got a dysfunctional family today and you're thinking, God, what, what, what mess? What are you ever going to be able to do with this mess? I've got some good news. He can do something. 
Maybe today you're facing family troubles of your own. Maybe you've got children, adult or little children, that are causing you despair and grief. Perhaps they're um, kind of doing stuff that is just, it's, it's, it's almost like bringing hurt and shame onto you as a family. There's a sense of, I really, uh, they're just tough, they're hard work. Or maybe you're, you're gutted because they've just wandered away from their faith and they've, they've gone away from Jesus and you're like, God, are you ever going to do something with this family? Do you know, for you, uh, what would I say to you? I'd say, keep being righteous and loving and gracious. Keep doing that. If, if you've got children that, that are actually causing you a lot of problems, I, I'd say this to you, uh, you know, and I've, I'm saying this because I've seen pe- members of our church go through this kind of thing, and this is what you notice. They carry on loving, and they carry on showing grace, and maybe every morning they wake up and they have to remind themselves that his mercies are new every morning. They're new for me. God, I thank you that your mercies are new for me. When I mess up, Lord, every morning I wake up and you'll say it's a fresh day. And give me mercy and grace to deal with my child in this time. And, and, I, and, and if you do that daily, who knows what God's going to do? Because I know that he's always faithful to his people, his promises, and his plans. Amen. So commit the situation to Jesus. Maybe you're struggling with your parents. Maybe they've got expectations of you that just feel heavy. Or maybe you're kind of... Uh, I, I know people that have, you know, 50, in their 50s or 60s who have felt the weight of uh, almost disappointment from their parents on them. And they've had to live with that. And maybe that's something that you've experienced as well or are experiencing Maybe you've got struggles with your brothers or your sisters or, or the fact that your father was absent all the time and there's this brokenness, there's this dysfunction about the way um, things are going on in your family. And I want to say two things to you. First of all, examine your heart. Examine your heart. What sin do you need to repent of? Do you need to repent of bitterness, of jealousy, of envy? Because that was rife in the family of Jacob. Or do you have to uh, rid yourself of pride, self-righteousness, a judgmental spirit? And you might say, the problem, the dysfunction mainly comes through the other members of my family. It's not through me. I don't think I've really ever come across someone who says, my family's dysfunctional and it's all because of me. (laughs) And the truth is, I don't really care, well, maybe I do, but I don't really care about your family. I, you, can, you can't do anything about their dysfunction. You can only do anything, something about your own dysfunction. And so the sin in your life is the thing you need to ask. God, check my heart. Is there anything within me that you want to change in me? Because else nothing is going to change. It took Joseph, who was the one who was mainly sinned against, to stand up and break the cycle of this dysfunction in the family. And you could say, well, it was the brother's fault. But, J- but Joseph took the responsibility for himself. So if, if you've got dysfunction in your family, just examine your heart. What do you need to repent of? And secondly, remember, God is always faithful to his people, his promises, and his plans. So keep praying for it. It might take a while. It took Joseph more than 15 years, or I can't, can't quite remember, about 15 years maybe, 
to be restored to his brother. Maybe it will take longer. We've talked about um, perseverance already today, isn't it? There's some times where it's like, God, daily, I need you to be working on my heart, and, and, and I'm praying for the day when this situation is fixed. Or maybe you're facing church family problems. I want you just to think about this just for a moment. This, this family here represents all of the people of God in this moment. This is it. There, there isn't another family that are, are, are going after God. This is the people of God. And look how messy it is. Violence, arrogance, hate, bitterness, sexual sin, deceit. It's all in there. We're going to hear about it all over the next few weeks. And actually, God, but that's the people of God. And God was constantly at work in that situation. All throughout history, the people of God have had to live alongside each other and working on relationship issues like jealousy, discord. And they've had to go and seek God. How do we live with one another in community with one another when we've got these very human problems that we face every single day? Every generation needs to learn how to, how to forgive and live with one another and love one another. Every generation needs to do it, and that includes our generation. Ephesians chapter 4, you might start singing to me in a minute because we used this a little while ago, but it says this. Do not bring, do not, uh, sorry, Ephesians 4, 30 to 32. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. That's something I'd never want to do. Imagine that, bringing sorrow to God's Holy Spirit. Remember, he identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ, God, through Christ, has forgiven you. See, God is about making a kind of different culture to the other cultures in the world where people get angry and bitter and hold vendettas and all of that kind of stuff. God said, no, 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 no. That's not what my family is here to do. My family is to to love one another and to get rid of all the rubbish and and cultivate the good. Amen. At the end of the story, it takes Joseph to stand up and break the cycle of hatred in his family. The last verse, uh, or one of the last verses says, Don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? That was a radical and brave step for Joseph to take. You can see it in the story. He's in tears before it happens. He absorbed the pain and the shame and the dishonor that the brothers had inflicted upon him in order to stop the cycle going round and around and around. But, you know, through the cross, Jesus made a way to break the... um, the cycle of hatred for one another and for God once and for all. He absorbed the pain, the shame, the dishonor that we, humanity, had inflicted on each other and inflicted on God. So whether you're a Christian today or not, there's only one way that you can break the cycle of pain or shame and dishonor in your life, and that is by, by taking it to the cross because Jesus is the one who can deal with it. And when you get to the cross, you'll hear Jesus saying, don't be afraid of me. I am God, but 
but I will not punish you. The Father sent me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. This is real stuff, isn't it? This is not kind of just kind of theoretical stuff. It involves family and life, and it involves struggles that many of us are going through even today. And so I'd love it if we could just stand. We've just got a moment. I'm going to pray for us. And if, you, if, you'd like, if you'd like to be prayed for, maybe you've got stuff going on. There's just dysfunction in your family, and you're, you want someone to stand and pray with you. I'd love to do that at the end. But let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that it just it proves to us, it shows us your commitment to your people, to your plans, and to your promises. Lord, and as I pray, I pray today, Lord God, as we go through life, as we go through this series, would you keep revealing that to us and showing it to us again and, and breathing the life and the goodness of it into us as a church? And as we go through life this week, Lord, I pray that we would go with those thoughts ringing in our heads. Lord God, actually, it's about your sovereignty. It's about your commitment to us, Lord. I pray for those that are struggling with family situations, whether that's their, their, their kind of physical family or here in church. I just pray for a love of God that just washes over. I pray for grace upon grace. Mercy is new every morning. And we pray for those that have been praying for one year or two years or three years or ten years or however long for you to, to intercede, to, for you to intervene into situations. We ask let us see the, that happen in Jesus' name. We ask for it. We stand with our brothers and sisters and say, God, would you do it? Would you bring prodigals home, Lord, that have been prayed for? Lord God, would you bind up, as we heard earlier, Lord, bind up broken hearts, Lord. I pray that you do that over this time in us as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Brilliant. So... Just to, so we've finished. It's time. You're going to have to go and get your kids pretty quick. 